Holly Campbell, and this is Simply Said. Hello, 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 and welcome to Polly Campbell's Simply Said, the podcast where we talk about how to live well, do good, and be happy. But are you already sick of hearing about this? Phrases during the holiday season like find joy, be grateful, happy holidays. <laughs> sure, this can be a time of joy and light and all warm feelings, but it can also be a time of profound grief, right? We've all felt that. It's a time of darkness and sadness if there's a missing person around the dinner table. And I truly think that most of us experience both of these things during the holidays, more than we talk about. I think all of us know what it's like to be missing someone during our celebrations, and I think we can all return to joy as well. But we're not in an easy time of it this year, and we're seeing things differently throughout our lives because of the pandemic and the losses we've experienced, not just due to death, but the other things we're missing. Losses of jobs and money and health and weddings and graduations and time with grandkids, right? But grief, it's part of life. It's part of our living experiences. And I think we need to talk about it more. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about this with Claire Willis, the author of Opening to Grief, Finding Your Way from Loss to Peace. Welcome, Claire. Thank you for having me, Polly. I'm happy to be here. Well, you are just the person we need. You're a clinical social worker who has worked in the fields of oncology and bereavement for more than 20 years. And you have a lot of experience talking about these big life issues, which I find many of us do not know how to talk about. You know, I came to this work, I think, personally, because uh, grief in my home was not something that was really tolerated. But what I've found in my work, which has been really sad and moving and really compelled me to write the book, is the amount of shame and judgment people carry about grief and the firm ideas they have about how long it should last, what it looks like, what's appropriate, what isn't. And it often mixes uh, and swirls around with shame and secrecy. So for instance, in my bereavement groups, one, one of the things that's not uncommon to hear is something along these lines. I would only say this in here, but I'm sleeping with my husband's shirt because I, I missed his scent. Mm. Or someone said, I'm sleeping with my dog's favorite toy, but I would only say that in here. And so these kinds of secret gestures that people do to stay connected to their loved ones have moving. And what I wanted to do was to write a book that would normalize grief because grief has as many expressions as there are people who are grieving. And I kept repeating the things over and over prompted me to write the book to bring grief out from under the covers. I think that's so interesting that you use the word shame to describe because I have never thought about it that way, That, but that's exactly right. I think we expect ourselves to be over it or we don't want to be the downer at the party or whatever it is. And I will tell you, I, I had a great relationship with my grandmother and she died many years ago, many, and I still 
feel such sadness sometimes and such joy when I think of her and all the other things too, but I feel such sadness and I don't even want to bring it up because I feel like, oh, that's crazy after all these years, but it, it hits me sometimes even now. Well, you know, I, I think it should hit you. <laughs> and okay. I'll tell you, one of the, one, there are a couple of definitions of Greece, grief, and one of them is more of a clinical definition. And one is one by a person named Jamie Anderson, whose definition of grief I really love. And I would like to frame our conversation around that. Um, she writes, grief is love with no place to go. All that unspent love gathers up in the corners of your eyes, the lump in your throat, and in that hollow part of your chest. Grief is just love with no place to go. And I think that's beautiful because what's happened is that there have been models of grief that have been overlaid on our culture. And I think Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's stages of grief mm -hmm. are something that people compare themselves to a lot. And what people don't know is that that work was never meant to describe people who are grieving. It was intended to describe the stages of someone who was living with a life-threatening disease and dying. And the other, the other definition of grief that I just want to bring in and is a little bit more clinical talks about grief as an ongoing and evolving experience involving cognitive, emotional, physical, and behavioral responses to any loss. It is a normal and natural response. And so those are two different definitions, but they both include the idea that grief does not go away. It changes in intensity, duration, and frequency of occurrence. But it's a little bit like um, a broken bone in your body. You break a bone and it's, it's searingly painful at first. And then um, maybe you have surgery and it gets better. And then maybe you have PT and it gets better. And then you're healed, but on rainy days, that dull ache returns. And I think that's the way grief is. It never goes away, but it changes from being a searing pain to a dull ache we learn to live with as an expression of our love. That is a great example. And I love that definition, love with no place to go, because while the person or the animal or whatever it is we love may be physically gone, my love is still in my, I mean, I still feel love as though she were here, right? It's, right. it's a part of my experience, always. Yeah. To deny your grief is to deny love. Ah, I love thinking about it like that. It, it makes yeah. it seem so much more doable, like less shameful right there, right? right. Because we're just it loving. It normalizes it. Yeah. yeah. You talk about that a lot in your book. And one thing that I really appreciated in your book, Opening to Grief, was you say that, that grief and, and loss isn't just sadness. It's a range. It might be relief. It might be confusion. It might be sadness. It might, yeah. And, you know, many of us have had the experience where somebody's, we lose somebody, a, a person or a pet, and we feel like we can't put our thoughts together. We feel fatigued. We feel confused because there's a part of relief that they're not suffering anymore, or we don't have to care for them. But we get frustrated by that like but that's mean of me if i i mean i shouldn't wish them away right but you say that this is also part of our whole experience of processing this we we think most of us think of grief as just sorrow or sadness but grief is really a word it's like an umbrella under which are many many feelings which include anger irritability impatience lethargy gratitude regret 
numbness, relief, all of them. And what one of the things that happens in families a lot is that people will say, no one in my family is grieving like I am. And that usually means no one is expressing their grief and sorrow. But anger is a very common form of expression of grief because it gives people a false sense of agency and they don't have to go to that helpless, vulnerable feeling of sorrow, sadness, helplessness, hopelessness. And so irritability and anger, impatience, those are often the way people express grief in our culture. But we don't tend to think of it. I mean, other ways, behaviorally, we tend to sleep more or we can't sleep. We overeat, we undereat, we get, we can't focus or concentrate, we get over busy or we get lethargic. There's a lot of ways that grief expresses itself beyond just sadness and sorrow. It seems like many of the big moments in our lives, like the holidays, like Thanksgiving dinner or Hanukkah or Christmas or graduations or weddings, bring out grief in a sharper or more profound way again, or expression of it. Why do you think that is? And, and how can we think about this holiday season when we're missing something in our lives? Yeah, that's a great question. So Polly, I think that holidays are tough for everybody, even if we haven't lost anyone in the last year, because they're touchstones to our past. And often they're idealized in the media. You know, we have this image of Andrew Wyeth's Thanksgiving dinner with the family sitting around the table. And, and one of the things that happens at family gatherings when someone has died is that the lost person isn't spoken about. So those who are grieving feel an especially, lon especially lonely. So I think the question is, how do we bring our loved ones that we've lost to the table? So some of the things you might think about is maybe saying, oh, I wonder what Mary would have, or, or Mary would have loved this dinner. Or I wonder what some of you miss the most about Mary. People don't bring up the person who's died because they're afraid of upsetting you. And what they don't realize is that you're already sitting with that person. Mm. Um, one of the things to think about when you're coming to a holiday for the first time without a central person in your life that, was, that you loved a lot is to think about how are you going to celebrate the holiday? You can choose not to celebrate it. You can choose to celebrate it the same way. Or you can think about how to shape it a little bit differently, but not to get stuck in thinking that you have to do the same thing you have that you've always done. And often, I just want to say one more thing, that the days ahead of a holiday are sometimes the most difficult, the anticipation of it. So the more we can prepare for the holiday and think about what we most need, you know, maybe we need to be with people, maybe we need some time alone. How do we create what we need from this time, even though it may not be the way the holiday has been uh, celebrated in the past? Do we need to share our feelings or these thoughts with the other people we're celebrating with, or do we bring it up at the table and risk upsetting other people? Well, the chances are that if other people get upset, it's already on their mind. Yeah, they're already upset. Right? Yeah. And yeah. I think the biggest gift we can give one another is the ability to listen to one another's grief. And what happens is when people are uncomfortable with grief and haven't 
worked with grief inside themselves, it becomes harder for them to hear other people grieve. So bringing up names of people in sort of offhand integrated ways like Mary would have loved these, these potatoes we're having today. These were her favorite. Bringing them in in an organic way can sometimes help people and it gives them permission to talk about who's missing. Sometimes people set an empty table, uh, empty place at the table to remember that person. So there's a lot of ways to do it. You have to know your audience. But one of the things that I always say is if people bring up the name of the person you've loved and lost, make sure to tell them how much that means to you mm. so that you reinforce this behavior. Mm. I like that. I One thing you talk about in your book is this time of uh, self-compassion and self-kindness. I have several friends who have lost partners and they don't know what they feel like from one day to the next. Sometimes they want to be with people. Sometimes being with people mm -hmm. makes them feel lonely, which you address in the book. And, and I think that's a great notion that that's okay, right? If you want to put the empty plate at the table, put the plate at the table. If you don't, don't. There can be, there doesn't have to be a rule about what you do on any given day. Is that how you see it? There's no rule because the person whose grievings needs change from day to day. So the chances are you're not going to be able to anticipate. I always say, take your lead from the person who's grieving and invite them into conversation. You know, um, often I will give conversation starters, like anytime you'd like to talk about your mother, I would love to be there and listen to whatever you want to say, or your grief is so normal. I understand why you feel the way you do. Invitations to ask people to speak are really important. But you mentioned um, this issue of self-compassion. And one of the things that when we were writing the book, we, we wanted to put a lot of attention and focus on the first chapter. And the first chapter is called Starting with Kindness. And we did that on purpose because People need to be kind to themselves when they're grieving and not overlay expectations on themselves of what their grief should look like. And I'd like to read a very short excerpt from a poem by Naomi Shihab Nye called Kindness, at which we excerpted at the beginning, but I think it's so beautiful. And it for us, it sort of set the tone of the book. So this is an excerpt from a longer poem, but I, it speaks to what we're talking about. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. You must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. Then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore. Only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out into the day to gaze at bread. Only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is I you have been looking for, and then goes with you everywhere like a shadow or a friend. And I love that because I think kindness is and self-compassion is the most important thing we can bring to our sorrow. Yeah. And I, I love that this is, you know, for those of us who have experienced losses, but those of us who love people who have experienced losses, because this is all of us, this is universal. None of us are going to avoid this kind of uh, sadness and, and joy and love, right? We're all going to face yeah. this in our lives. We've all lost 
we've all, we, we have, we've been through a pandemic of a virus, but we've been through a pandemic of grief and fear and division and separation. So even if you didn't lose somebody to COVID or you didn't lose somebody you loved in the last 18, 20 months, you have lost something. If only you've lost life as you once knew it. So everybody's life has been touched by grief in some way or another to a different degree. I, I love that you're giving me ownership of that and that you're giving our listeners ownership of that because what I say and what I'm hearing people say is, yes, I mean, I'm feeling really sad today. This is really hard, but I'm so lucky. I can't complain, right? Because it has touched me differently than maybe the guy down the street. But what you're saying is grief is grief. Loss is loss. Whatever mine is doesn't give or take from yours. It's still loss. And I still have to experience that. And I can be allowed to experience that. Yes, because the, the worst thing you can do is to disenfranchise your own grief. Um, one of the things that happened to me on March 1st, just a week before the pandemic started, was I had to put down my beloved pet that I had just, I was so attached to this dog. And I wanted to have a gathering of my friends to spread the ashes. And then the pandemic came and I could not give myself permission in light of what was happening in the world to pay attention to that wish I had. And so even though I, this is my work and this is what I say, it's very hard uh, in the face of other suffering to sometimes not minimize our own. And mm -hmm. I really appreciate that. But grief is grief. And one of the things that we say is that Grief is a no compare zone. It's really important. And I even hear this in my bereavement group. Sometimes I'll say, I'll hear something like, well, I didn't lose my daughter. At least I lost my grandmother. Well, no, we both are losses of love and we can't compare them. Although I, I completely understand the tendency and the inclination to do that. But it's really important not to disenfranchise our own grief because then it will never, ever go away. What about people who say or feel that if they allow it in, if they allow themselves to feel it and identify it, that they're going to be crushed for it by it and they'll never be okay again? You know, that is a common feeling and it's not a common experience uh -huh. because if you, the way through something is in, we can't go around it. What we resist will persist. And making an appointment or making a time for grief to grieve is really important in terms of moving through it and carrying it forward in a way that's manageable because otherwise we're vulnerable to being triggered by unintegrated loss for whatever amount of time we don't work with it. The other thing is that when we do allow our grief in, we are able to be more generous with other people who are grieving because we can be with them and we can offer them comfort. If we don't let our own grief in, we can't be with those who are grieving. Friend. And one of the things that I hear a lot in my bereavement groups is how people's friendships change after the death of a loved one. Some of their friends disappear and then people come forward that they least expected. And I hear this all the time. I hear it in my cancer group. I hear it in my bereavement group. That's, I, friends, let's make that the Simply Start segment. Today or sometime this week, when you have the space and the energy, 
sit with your grief, sit with your loss, think about the last year for you and the people you love or the losses and allow it in as a place to put the love, right? And when you do that, know that not only are you taking care of yourself and allowing yourself to move on into a different normal, but you're also going to be more available to your friends and family members who are also living with their own loss. So I I love that. That's simply start. That's a generosity. Yeah. It's an act of generosity. All right. The big question. When does this end? When are we done grieving? How long does this take? We, we, we're never done, but it changes, as I said earlier, it changes in intensity, frequency, and duration so that it moves from being a searing pain to a dull ache. And for many of us, grief is a companion. You know, it's something that keeps our hearts soft. It keeps us in touch with other people's suffering, and it allows us to really be with others in a, and with ourselves in a much deeper, more profound and meaningful way. So the, the, the searing pain of initial loss is not, does not continue. It does soften over time. But as you said, remembering your grandmother of, I don't know how many years, it's been many years since she died, still makes you sad. And why wouldn't it? You loved her and you lost her. Yes, I loved her and I lost her. We all have that experience of loving and lost. And, and I wouldn't trade it, but I did have to find a place to put that love. Like you said, that's exactly what it felt like. And, and sometimes it's, you know, it's, it's more visceral. Sometimes I feel it in my body more than other times now after 10 years or however long it's been. You know, I think that's an important thing that you're mentioning is where do you put that loss? I, um, I, I met with an extraordinary woman the other day who's starting a hospice. And she said the work came from the loss of her mother who died a tragic death. And her mother was actually murdered. And she has dedicated her life to helping people end their life in peaceful and easeful ways. And I think what happens is when we have a significant loss in our life, over time, we try to find a place to place that so that it has meaning in our life and so that we can alleviate the suffering of other people a little bit. I love that. We're talking to Claire Willis, the author of Opening to Grief, Finding Your Way, from Lost to Peace, and her co-author is Marnie Crawford Samuelson. Claire, we, we need to wrap it up in a few minutes, but you talk in the, your book about places to put our grief or explore our grief, and you talk about music and writing and creativity and meditation. You also talk about restorative spaces, finding spaces uh, to go and experience this in, in a safe way. Can you give us maybe one or two ideas about how we can, I I don't want to say channel our grief, because I I think it's always back and forth for me. It's never just one direction, right? But places that we can express our grief um, and maybe expand through it. Yeah, that's a great question. I think of each chapter in the book as offering the reader a resource to hold grief. So one of the the resources, and this is uh, certainly based in, um, in research is um, restoring ourselves in nature. Um, so not everyone is a talker, you know? And so sometimes being in the natural world where our mind and our eyes go into a receptive mode, um, Rachel and Stephen Kaplan talk about restorative spaces 
And their restorative spaces are outdoor, accessible, quiet, and relatively small places such as a yard or a pocket park, or it can even be looking at a patch of sky if you're in a hospital. But being in a receptive mode when we're in the natural world, we, it asks nothing of us. All we have to do is take in and see the seasons changing. And often the change of seasons mirror our own grief. In, in Canada, there are walking groups where people walk together and they say the name of the person who died, the date and their relationship, and they walk together in silence. That's all they do in beautiful places. And I recently just read something really interesting that there are Canadian physicians who are giving nature as a prescription because what they found is that people who spend time in the natural world under stress are living longer. They have increased energy, reduced stress and anxiety, less pain, and their moods are better. So there is something to be said for spending time in the natural world as a source of healing, for sure. I love that. Well, where can we find more about your work and your book? Do you have a website? Yeah, the, uh, the name of the website is openingtogrief.com. And um, there's, there's in, in resources on there and there's ways to reach me. And the book is available it, well, it's available on Amazon, but I always ask people to try to support their local bookstore if they're interested in the book. And, you know, my wish is that it, the book will provide solace. I think one of the things that I want to say about the book is that the people who endorsed it used the word companion, that it reads like a companion. And I think what we most wanted was for people to read the book and feel like they weren't as alone. And so I think the book is a beautiful companion to people who are grieving and hopefully it offers them some resources to help them hold their grief and be with it. I think it will. I absolutely agree that it's a companion. Folks, this is a, a beautiful book. It will help you this time of year. It will help you anytime because grief and loss are universal and it's also a way of loving right so check yeah. out claire willis's book and also her co-author's book marnie crawford samuelson it's called opening to grief finding your way from loss to peace i think it's simply nifty and you know through my own work and my newest book you recharge that i write a lot about emotion and holding the emotions and the feelings that we have and that goes for grief too we can take it in and experience this as a part of loving and a part of living without being crushed by it. And in fact, when we do, we are more engaged in our own lives and more available and accessible to others. When we allow ourselves to feel these big things in life, to go through them and bear with them and experience them, then we will all live well, do good and be happy. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric acid.
Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid. 